Hello and welcome back to Podcast from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. So it's election time. In just a few days' time, on Monday, November the 1st to be exact, South Africans go to the polls in local government elections that may or may not give us some idea about what our political future might look like. The conventional wisdom is that local government elections are not an accurate guide to the national mood. I, I'm not so sure that's true. If the ANC had not done so badly in 2016, Jacob Zuma might not have been driven out of office before the end of his term. Of course, as Arnold Lamini Zuma might not even be president. And if you're a political party, local governments, if you're lucky enough to form one, gives you access to real budgets, actual bank accounts, the power to appoint. It's all potentially very attractive, especially when we are talking big metros like Johannesburg or Cape Town or Esquini. It's not much good following political parties, though, if you want to find out how a campaign is going. They're always only campaigning to win outright, and they're always doing much better than everybody else thinks. Fortunately, I stumbled across a guy called Davy Scholz on Twitter a few years back. Davy is a consultant in real life, but his hobby is election. We could call him an independent elections analyst. Principally, he uses models of his own to project results after polling is closed. He's tweeted that he hopes he'll be able to call the big metros the night voting closes and have a reliable national picture by mid-morning on November 2. That's pretty impressive given that the IEC could take up the rest of the week getting to a final figure. You can follow Darby Skolz on Twitter on at Darby Skolz, that's uh, capital D-A-W-I-E, capital S-C-H-O-L-T-Z, one word, or just carry on listening to this podcast because he's my guest today. Ravi, thank you very much for being with me. With less than two weeks of polling to go, has anything about this election taken you by surprise? Hi, Peter. Uh, I think, you know, this is always an interesting question. I I think a little bit of how the campaign has unfolded uh, has, has taken me by surprise. Um, I, I am surprised by... Um, the particularly the DA's um, experience in Phoenix. I think that was a, a huge surprise to me. I, I didn't expect that turn, and probably the DA will also say, um, uh, you know, an error that was made in, you know, in isolation. Um, and the, just the extent to which that influenced the campaign, I think, has been a surprise. Uh, and then I think I was tweeting about it yesterday. Um, I found the the ANC's campaign to be quite surprising in that it was a quite a big departure from. The approach that they took last time uh, in that they're focusing almost entirely on their base areas in this election, which is quite surprising to me. I thought that they may continue the approach they took in 2019 to, to you know, campaign quite, I think, uh, across the board, including suburban areas, um, you know, minority areas, which is not really taking place right now. So I think those have been two major surprises. Um, I'm also, I think, slightly surprised by the amount of coverage and traction that Action SA is getting. Um, it's more than I thought it would be at this point. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think I think all of those beg some questions about the results, right, um, which I think we, I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment. Sure. Um, just on the, on the, on the, when you say the ANC is just going for its base, you mean, you mean its base in urban areas or is, you, you, do you just mean it campaigning rurally? No, I mean campaigning in areas that are predominantly black. So the ANC seems to be campaigning almost entirely in, um, in townships um, or rural areas that are overwhelmingly black and overwhelmingly anti voting, um, which in some ways makes sense, right? So I think the party is trying to make sure it turns out its base, which has always been a big challenge for it in these local government elections. So 
Um, so that, so that, from that perspective, does make sense. But you know, the party made significant inroads in, well, not significant, but made inroads in, in suburban areas in 2019. Made inroads in um, kind of marginal places like you know the Asia and the south of Johannesburg, Mayfair, etc. Um, where they at least the senior leaders, I've not seen them campaigning significantly in those areas. They've really been focusing on places like Soweto, places like. Um, Soshangube, places like Maluti Apufung um, over the weekend now, it's just passed, um, which, which, which I think points to a couple of things, right? I think they're trying, to, as I said, trying to turn out their base um, and probably also um, are under some pressure to keep that portion of the electorate together for them, right? Um, which I'm sure we'll also discuss in a moment. Do you think it's, it's a question of money or is it a tactic? I, I, think, it's, I think it's probably a, a tactic, right? Um, I, I think they're making a strategic choice to focus on certain portions of the electorate um, and uh, it, it points to me that their priorities um, in this election are, one, based turnout, and two, keeping the base together and not so much growing into new markets. Yeah. Uh, Tony Leon always says how um, frightening it was uh, in any election with the ANC because you'd think you were doing jolly well um, and the ANC was being quiet. And then all of a sudden, in the last couple of days, the tsunami would hit you uh, when, as, the machine, as the machine got together. You know, people make a lot of fun sometimes of Figula and Balula, but I think he's one of the main ANC campaign organizers. He's pretty good at that job, which is probably why he stays uh, in government. There was just um, one registration day uh, before this election, and I remember you being quite impressed with the DA's performance on the day. Um, uh, just, talk, just talk to me. Just talk to us about why you were and how you arrive at the sort of judgments that you were making at the time. Yeah. So I think that points to one of the major undercurrents in this election for me, which is one of the critical questions is going to be turnout, right? Um, and you know, in these elections, the the, the shape of the total turnout, but also the shape of the turnout and what the electorate looks like is super important for the outcome. And so it's a roundabout way of answering the question. I'll get to it in a moment, but it, it is important illustratively is the, you know, in 2016, I think in suburban areas, which vote overwhelmingly DA, turnout was about 70%, so 7-0, right? Um, in township areas, particularly in urban areas in 2016, um, where the ANC does well, turnout was 55%. So that's you know a fifteen point differential, um, and and when that happens, it means obviously that suburban areas are disproportionately represented in the electorate, and therefore um, you know the the DA portion of the vote is inflated, which is one of the reasons why the DA did so well in twenty sixteen. And you could say you know perhaps not just the DA, but parties that do well in suburban areas have their float their vote inflated when that happens. Um, so that happened in twenty sixteen, and I think one of the big questions about this election is whether it will happen again. I think. Um, the the registration, and that's where the registration weekend comes in. The registration weekend points to two things for me. So firstly, potentially quite low turnout because we had a very low level of new registrations, right? So in, in urban areas, registration was significantly down and for the whole country to start as well. So we had about 500,000 new registrations. You'd expect it to be more like 800, 900,000, perhaps even a million on a good weekend. Um, so those numbers came in quite low. Um, and if you look at some specific urban areas, right, I think Etiquini is a very good example. In 2016, there were 69,000 new registrations. Um, this year, there were 16,000 new registrations. So it's less than a quarter of the number of new registrations in, in Etiquini, as an example. So it, it's not a, a you know, hard fact that that predicts lower turnout. But to me, it just points to a little bit less voter engagement, right? That, that's lower turnout. But 
Then to get to your to your question about you know how you deduce a relatively good registration weekend for the for the DA, the question of course of these registrations is who went to go register, right? Um, and whether the shape of those registrations leans more heavily towards the kinds of voters that typically vote for one party or another. Um, and you know you can look at the, the demographics of various areas, and you can look at how many people registered in those areas. Um, and it really is true that in areas that have historically voted for the DA, so largely suburban areas, registration rates really were higher um, per capita and also actually um, in total um, than the registration rates in areas where the ANC typically does well. Now, I think it is fair to say that that doesn't necessarily translate into a great success for the DA. Um, you know, there's some chance that those voters registering very heavily in suburban areas are ANC voters or are Freedom Front Plus voters or, or whoever else. Um, but if you look at the historic voting patterns, um, the typically DA-leaning areas out-registered out typically ANC areas in this election, which points to me potentially to a kind of higher turnout intensity in those areas. Um, but again, as I said, there's just, you know, no formal predictive rule about that. Yeah. And then just the other day, um, you also had a look at um, special votes, and uh, the picture was different, wasn't it? It just sort of turned around. A special vote, what is this? You get to vote by post, or, or somebody comes to collect your vote from you? Or Yeah, that's that. You know, we, we have um, so the, we, the, the actual elections on the 1st of November, right? But the IC does special votes on the 30th and 31st of October, so traditionally the two days before the election. Um, where there are two kinds of special votes. So the one is where, um, you know, the voting, actually all voting stations are open for those two days and people who've applied for special votes can go vote. So I'm going to be busy on the election day, so I'm actually going to vote on Saturday morning. Um, and then there's another one, particularly for older voters, where the IEC goes out to older germs and so on and votes, and you have to apply for that. Um, and you're right, this is the one interesting data point we have that points in the other direction, um, where I think if you, if you look at across the entire country, all DA-leaning areas about 3.2% of registered voters applied for a special vote. Um, then if you look at all ANC-leaning areas across the entire country, 4.5% of registered voters applied for a special vote, which is it sounds small, but it's actually a significant difference. Um, so that's the, the one data point we, we have that points to potentially better than expected ANC turnout, right, and, and higher turnout in suburban areas. Um, I will confess, though, I've never done the special vote analysis before, so I'm not sure what normal looks like or whether, um, you know, it could be that the ANC just always gets quite a lot of special votes in um, and we just don't have the historic data to validate that. I guess from now on we'll be able to look at it. But So, so I'm not sure what to make of that. Um, and, you know, given the, the turnout patterns we've had maybe for the last three or four elections where suburban areas significantly out turned or turned out more than, than township areas. I'm inclined to think that trend is going to continue. Um, but you are right. This is the one data point which points in the other direction. Yeah. Because you, you, you also at some stage or probably at the same time were talking about something I didn't understand what you meant about a suburban differential. In other words, uh, you're expecting a big suburban differential. Um, and the, um, special votes might have, um, uh, sharpen that expectation, but what do you mean? Yeah, so, so what I mean by that is that the rate of turnout of people going to go vote, right, um, is much higher in suburban areas or in typically in, in DA voting areas than in ANC voting areas, right? And it, it's it's simple. Imagine you have a town of just two voting stations. One voting station, so both have 100 people in it, and one votes overwhelmingly for the DA and the one votes overwhelmingly for the ANC. If 
you know, 80% of the people in the DA voting voting station turns out, and so only 50% of the people in the ANC voting station turns out, then the DA is going to win that town, right? Um, because the, the the DA vote is inflated in that in that situation. Um, and, and that's what I mean, is that this the, the differing level of turnout, um, particularly when suburbs vote at a higher rate than townships, benefits the DA. But I think the one just very interesting thing to point out about this is that you know, our baseline of expectations, which is, you know, the results in 2016 and then to a lesser extent the results in 2019, are both built on very high differential turnouts for, in the, you know, in a DA's favor. Um, in 2019, it was, I think, 10 or 12%. In um, 2016, as I said, it was about 15% because the, the difference between suburban and downtown was 15 So it's actually a huge opportunity for the ANC to simply turn out to space. If it closes that gap, the result immediately gets better for the ANC, actually. Um, and a really important imperative for the DA to keep that gap big and, and to try to grow it even more. Let's just talk a bit about the parties, and we'll start with the DA. I don't want to just talk about them too much, but uh, um, has it done anything that sort of uh, helps us understand what's going on inside the party better? You know, the the issue with the, um, the, the adverts in Durban where... Um, they had to be taken down, and there was an apology, and then somebody resigned from their job uh, in disgust at the at the grovelling apology. Has it done it any damage? I mean, it you know, would anybody who was considering voting for the DA now not vote for the DA because of that? So, who really knows, right? I, I think that the, the party has internal polling, and they're the only people who really know. There was a, an article in the report yesterday, which I read read yesterday evening where, you know, apparently internal DA polling was leaked that said they lost four points because of that. Um, you know, that's what the party insider claims. So who knows whether that's true or not. Um, but, you know, that's really the only data we have on this. Um, I, I've, you know, we obviously have no data. I, I there's, there's a couple of things we can infer from the DA campaign at this point in time, right? If you look at the moves that the party is making, and then, and then I'll get to answering your question. So the, the one thing is this discussion around Afrikaans voters and the Freedom Front Plus, I think, is is a very, very real um, challenge and threat to the party. You know, we saw, obviously, that happened in 2019 when a portion of the Afrikaans vote, the white Afrikaans vote, went over to the Freedom Front Plus, particularly in the northern part of the country. Um, and we saw that happening a lot in by-elections kind of earlier this year, or late last year. Uh, and so that was always going to be one of the big problems for the DAs is trying to get those voters back. Uh, and there's just a couple of things they've done which suggests to me that it, you know it's still on the agenda. The problem is not fully solved yet. The the, the one very first obvious tell to me is this in um, poster that they put up, this unifying win, which I think is a very direct message to those voters to get together, unify, vote as a unit, and try to win some of these municipalities, right? I think that's, that's the, the one message that... The one thing which implies for me, which is the one kind of interesting undercurrent in this election, that's sort of undercurrent number two from my perspective is white Afrikaans voters. The other one which I think is um, is super interesting is this poster they put up, um, I think it was starting to put up now, called ANC or DA, your choice, right? Trying trying to frame it very explicitly as a two-way choice between the ANC and the DA. Um, and that's probably because I think there's a whole host of smaller parties in, in different portions of the electorate that are... I think feeding off a little bit the DA vote at this point. So, um, you know, we saw this one in by-elections is that the Patriotic Alliance, um, which, you know, has been a really small, um, almost irrelevant party until now, 
Um, I, I get the feeling, if you look at by-elections and if you look at the campaigning and if you look at the campaign trail and you look at these posters, it's probably taking a not irrelevant percentage of the DA's vote in colored areas. Um, definitely in the Western Cape, definitely in the southern portion of Johannesburg, places like El Dorado Park, etc. So I think posters like that is about trying to get those voters united behind the DA as opposed to voting for different smaller parties. Um, and then the other one, which I really think is relevant, and we also saw this um, because of these you know, 702 adverts that the DA is running in, in Gauteng, is, uh, which is you know, actively going after Action SA, is I think the DA probably has a significant risk with Action SA in the, in the suburbs in, in Gauteng, and particularly, I think, the English-speaking suburbs, places like Parkhurst. This is Herman Mashaba's party, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, Action SA, Herman Mashaba's party. Um, and, and I just read in all of these moves an attempt to keep their base together because I think there's a little bit of splintering taking place. Um, and there's a, there's a long conversation to be had about this, this splintering effect and, and you know, what you can read, what's happening inside the party. Because I think a lot of the things that are happening, happening inside the party has been an attempt to unite the party's base turn out the party's base, almost turn to the party's base, you know, back to back to its roots. Um, and and that's quite a complicated matter because I think that within the party's base, there are probably some voters that like that and that want a purely liberal, perhaps even conservative, depending on how you look at it, party, right? Um, but there's also a hell of a lot of voters in there that want a broad-based, multiracial large alternative that can take on the ANC. Um, and if you play one of the two cards too hard, I think you're at risk of fracturing the DA base. Um, and and that's a little bit of the dynamic that I think that, that the DA faces at this point. Um, and the, the Phoenix example, I think, is a very good example. That is uh, quite a hard play to unite the party's old base, right? Um, and, and I think that it backfired in the portion of the electorate that doesn't like the DA and is never going to vote the DA, fine. That's kind of electorally fine from the body's perspective, I think. But I would not be surprised if it backfired a little bit to sort of um, centrist, uh, particularly white English-speaking voters in the suburbs of Johannesburg who says, well, we want a broad-based multiracial party that can take on the ANC. A party that is multiracial, broad-based, and to take on the ANC doesn't look and feel like the way you guys are looking and feeling right now. And I think that's one of the challenges yeah. it has. Joburg presumably is, and, and Pretoria as well, um, uh, or Tswane, are beyond the reach of any single party. Sure, there'll be coalitions of some kind. I think I think Tuane that I, I quite strongly agree with that statement. Um, it would take something extraordinary for someone to reach fifty percent in Tuane. Um, and you know the only party that could actually theoretically do it is the ANC. I think if they really turn out their base, because you know remember that twenty sixteen result was based on that big differential turnout I was talking about. So you know there are scenarios where let's say the ANC turns out its base on fire and they stay united, then maybe. Um, but but I think it's unlikely. Joburg, I think, is is closer. So the ANC got forty what before forty five. Um, they did a little bit better in twenty nineteen. If you rerun the twenty nineteen numbers on you know a normal local government election voting pattern or turnout pattern, then it looks like forty seven forty eight. So it's getting closer. But then you haven't factored in action SA yet, and you haven't factored in EFF growth potentially. So you, you, you're probably right in that. Actually, all three of the Gauteng metros are, are likely to be you know, coalitions, but by far the most difficult to reach 50, I think, um, is 
Stephen and Cape Town would remain roughly where they are, right? DA in Cape Town, ANC in 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 Derbs. Uh, so that's interesting. So, so I think Cape Town probably yes, because again, you know, the DA is coming off an exceptionally high base, but they got sixty six percent last time. Um, but, you know, the only conceivable way that the DA loses Cape Town is if there's an enormous swing against them in the coloured electorate. I, I think it's unlikely that there will be a bit of a swing away from them if we look at the by-elections earlier in the year and just getting a sense from the campaign trail. How, I, I doubt it will be enough for them to lose it. So, yeah, probably they hold it with a reduced majority. That's the, I think, rational expectation. Um, and then Epikwini Durban is the is a very interesting one, right? So the EFF made enormous inroads in Epikwini in 2019. Um, and if you rerun the 2019 voting pattern with a turnout pattern that looks like a normal local government election, it puts the ANC at 52-53. So it's historically low, right, because of those losses to the EFF in, in 2019. Um, so 52-53 baseline uh, that... Uh, who knows what the impact of the rioting and looting was? Who knows what the impact of, you know, fractious relationship between Jacob Zuma and Silver Ramaphosa is? Who knows what the impact of Action SA is? Um, probably, I mean, the ANC will certainly be the largest party. I mean, probably more likely than not that they hold to 50%, but it's not inconceivable to me that actually even Etiquini could be in a coalition discussion in this election. You've, you've been quite impressed with the EFS campaigning. I have. Um, look, I... You know, there's a couple of things um, ab- about the, the EFF's historical support that I think that they are clearly aware of and are in actually a very professional, uh, very intelligent, you know, <laughs> well-strategized manner are attacking those problems. And, you know, the one is older voters um, and the other is, is women, right? Um and it's, if you just look at the issues they're taking up, if you look at the, the way they're campaigning, they're, they're attacking their demographic challenges. Um, and, and also, you know, historically in the Nguni electorate, they've not grown a lot. In 2019, they made some inroads in KZN. Um, and they really seem to be working hard on those things, which I think is, is intelligent and, and is right. Um, I also just think that, um, you know, there's, there's a quite a natural gravitational pool happening in our politics where I think, you know, the, the ANC has historically relied on 80 to 90 percent of the voters in the black electorate. Um, and there's some atrophy in that portion of the electorate. There's some there's some portion of those voters that are kind of either decided they're not voting ANC or deciding that they're thinking about someone else. And that slice of that portion of the electorate that is thinking about someone else is growing all the time because of our sort of growing wrong track number in South Africa, right? If you do polling and you ask, is South Africa on the right track or the wrong track? That wrong track number is growing all the time and it's being driven by more and more black voters feeling that way. And so they're starting to think about someone else for the first time. And, you know, the the EFF, I think, disproportionately gains within that slice that is starting to think about someone else for the first time. Um, it's It's a natural gravitational change force that's happening in our politics and and the EFF is particularly benefiting I think because of the DA's challenges of the last couple of years they're the strongest alternative in that portion of the electorate now I think which is which is what's driving it to a large extent. There's a sort of smattering of independent candidates uh, around the country I mean um, I don't know what to make of them do they will they make any difference to the outcome do you think? Me neither Peter I, honestly I don't know we'll, we'll have to wait and see like there's there's no polling. there's no quantitative historical evidence um it stands to reason that, you know, 
if as the one thing we have going on is that that there's frustration with all of the major parties, right? So it stands to reason that maybe they'll get a little bit more than usual. Um, I'm not inclined to think that there's they're going to be you know whole councils running you know completely by independents, etc. That would be quite a surprise for me if that happens. Is it possible? Is it possible in a local election to vote tactically? I think so. Um, so, so you know, you you may want to vote for uh, a particular party in your in your ward. You get three ballots, right? You get three. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit complex. It's a longish a longish story. So it, so firstly, the number of ballots you get depends on where you live. So um, if you live in a in a metropolitan municipality, so one of the large metros, you will actually only get two ballots, so a ward and a PR ballot for, for your city. Um, if you look at any of South Africa's rural municipalities, then you get three ballots because there's also sort of another tier of government above the municipality, which is the district council. So you get a ballot for ballot ward and PR for your, um, your municipality, but then also a ballot for district, which is the one in between. Uh, and, and yes, one can vote tactically if you wish, but Actually, the tactical nature of your vote doesn't matter that much for quite kind of technicalities within the way that the IEC counts these votes. Because at the end of the day, what the IEC does is they take all of the ward ballots and all of the people ballots and just put it into the same pool, calculate the percentage for each party and hand out seats based on the percentage. Yeah. Just a a final question. Uh, You know, if we look back at this election, um, uh, how likely is it, let's say 10 years on, how likely is it to have been a, a watershed, do you think, in our politics? I mean, if, you, if you're Cyril Ramaphosa, what are the best metro results that you can hope for? And what's a safe, for him, a safe national number, given what happened to Jacob Zuma um, in 2016 when I think the ANC got 54% of the national vote i think i i think the 50 percent is really important for them um and fantastic result is 54 or more um so i think they'd be very happy with 54 or more they'd probably be happy with anything between 50 and 54 to be honest i, I doubt they would ad- admit that but but probably they would be relatively happy with, with reaching 50 percent in this election um and that's a long way down darby from uh from 2019, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just the one very important thing to remember, Peter, is the, the 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 turnout patterns between national government elections and local government elections are enormously different. The 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 electorate just looks totally different in those two elections. So, um, you know, as I as I said, the the gap in 2016 was 15 percent, in some places even higher. Um, I the, the comment I just made is built on the expectation that the turnout gap will, will look like that, that it will look like a local government election where suburbs will vote out will, will you know turn out disproportionately. Um in national government elections the gap is much smaller. Um which is why the the, the ANC always does better in a national government election than a local government election. Um and the DA always does better in a local government election than a national government election. Um so uh, that is that is why I think that, that in fact for the ANC, 2016 is a very good base to look at because that will be probably comparing like for like if you ask me. And I think so for me the baseline is 54. Um, I think the EFF will get a bit more, and it's coming from only one place. I think Action SA. I know they're only contesting some municipalities, but it's large municipalities. I think a lot of the Action SA vote will come from the DA, but I think some of it will also come from the ANC, um, which will which will buy it. Um, and and then. I do still think that the, the turnout picture is not going to be good for the ANC. It's going to be overwhelmingly, or, or, you know, a big differential in suburban, uh, you know, in favor of suburbs, but let's see. 
And all of those things together point to me that you know, 54 would be a great result, um, I really think. Um, that, that, so that's, that's where that expectation is coming from. And then in the metros themselves, um, you know, the, uh, as you said, I would be very surprised if they hit 50% in Chwane, Joburg, or even Ekuruleni. Uh, so fantastic result if they do. I think a very good result is to hold Etiquini. Um, I think Cape Town is a lost cause. I, I honestly, I you know, nothing to me points to the fact that they could get anywhere to Cape Town. But the one interesting sleeper is Nelson Mandela Bay. We've not actually discussed that one yet, but I know that they were quite a weak position on in, in Nelson Mandela Bay in 2016. But it actually is one of the ones where there's potential for the ANC to do better than people are expecting. And the reason why that is the case is that in Nelson Mandela Bay in 2016. It was built on an enormous differential turnout for the DA. So that's firstly difficult to replicate for the DA. And secondly, it was built on the ANC actually performing, performing relatively poorly with, with black voters, right? And that portion of the black electorate, the Tosai electorate in kind of the Eastern Cape and the Western Cape, is one of the portions of the electorate that swung hardest back to the ANC in 2019. So, so um, that's where Cyril made a real recovery. Um, and I think... I think that so there's some potential for the ANC to do a bit better in Nelson Mandela Bay. Whether they reach 50 or not, I think is, that's a big ask. Wow. So Tabecha or PE will be will be very interesting. Well, listen, uh, Davi, thank you very much for joining me. That's all we've got time for. I'm going to be paying very, very close attention to your Twitter feed for the next 15 days or so. And thank you for listening. I hope you learned as much as I did. And I'll be back next week with another interesting guest. Until then, keep safe, wear a mask, and if you possibly can, keep your distance. This thing isn't over by a long shot. Bye for now.